All right. Thanks, Josh. Um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Uh, if you have a uh, Bible on your iPhone or your smartphone or tablet, I do not encourage you to use that to check the score of the game. Because we all know it's going to be the Chiefs and the 49ers anyway. Chiefs are currently winning 17-7 to anyway, if you, if you were wondering. Sorry to ruin it for you if you're recording that. Um, I know that a lot of you can make fun of me for many different things. I think I give reasons for you to make fun of me a lot, probably. Um, yeah. Uh, so we call um, December 24th Christmas Eve, right? Um, I learned this. Uh, I didn't learn that this past year. But um, <laughs> but uh, a few months, a few uh, weeks ago, I said, uh, uh, I was talking with Parker Mabry, and maybe that was my first mistake. Um, <laughs> but I said, uh, he said, what do we call uh, December 24th? I said, Christmas Eve. He said, what do we call the day before that? I said, Christmas Eve Eve. And he said, Christmas Adam. <laughs> and I was like, I'd never heard that before. And I think I laughed way too hard, <laughs> like way too hard. Um, and uh, silly Christian humor. Um, so on Christmas Adam, this past Christmas Adam, I was actually um, in Winston-Salem. Um, I went to do a funeral of a, of a dear close friend. And, uh, and while I was at the funeral, um, this was before, like if you ever gone to a funeral uh, at a big church, like um, there's different places to gather and talk. Um, with people before the service actually starts and so uh, because I was a part of the the ceremony like I got there early and I'm talking with people um, in the sanctuary and there's a completely separate lobby and there's a whole other room where the whole family is meeting and everything Um, and uh, and so I'm talking with some people and I hear like this woman scream in the lobby just straight up screech and we look out and like there's like we see people running like uh, through the windows, and we're like, what's going on? And so we, we go over there, and this dude had just fallen down on the ground, and he was just out, cold, looked dead, um, and people are freaking out, running around, hollering, and, uh, and, and, people, and, and they're screaming for, is, does anybody have any, any medical experience? Is there any EMTs here, any doctors, you know, in the building? And uh, somebody runs over, starts doing CPR on this guy, um, and he's unresponsive, um, and, and so we're like, we need to, um, we just need to pray. And so we just, we, we get together with some people and we start praying for this guy. I don't even know who he is. Um, and, uh, and, uh, long story short, the, uh, the EMTs get there and they take him away. Um, and, and as I was reading this passage for tonight that we're in, I was thinking like that was in that moment, I, I had that picture in my head because like there was a, it was a desperation in the room, right? And and we were all like, we need help. We need somebody to be able to do something, but everybody seemed helpless. There was not a doctor. There wasn't an EMT. There was, there was nobody there who knew what to do to help this guy. This guy actually came to eventually and started like convulsing like crazy, started ripping his clothes off and they carried him out of the building. Uh, And, and I was like, that was an intense scene, you know, already at a funeral. Um, And, and it got me thinking like, um, that was just one moment where I remember being in a desperate place. Um, and maybe, I, mean, I, I felt helpless. I was like, I wish I knew what to do. I wish I knew how I could help, you know? Um, and so 
I wanted, to, I wanted to, to set it up in that way to think, like, put yourself, in, and maybe you've been in a more desperate place than that before. Um, but what we're going to see in the text tonight is, is two desperate situations. Um, it's actually two stories in one, um, if you haven't read ahead. Uh, um, but we're going to see people who have urgent needs that only Jesus can meet, right? And, and so the, I think the main point, if you're going to look at the whole chapter of Mark um, chapter 5, the main point is this, straight up, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over demons, he's Lord over disease, and he's Lord over death. And Lord, that word Lord means that he has all power and all authority, that he is sovereignly ruling over all. And so last week we saw Jesus deliver legion out of the demons, uh, uh, legion out of the demons, he, yeah, um, he delivered legion out of the man who was full of demons uh, into some, some deviled ham. And, uh, and so then some, some people got that. Um, tonight, into the pigs. Okay. Uh, tonight, we're going to see Jesus, who not only has power over demons, but he has power over disease and death as well. If you, if you had to like, give an outline of this passage, like in just the whole book of, a uh, whole chapter of Mark 5, I would say uh, the first 20 verses is where we see Jesus is the Savior of men. And then in, that, in the center section, verses 24 through 34, we see Jesus is the Savior of women. And then in the last verses, 35 through 43, we see Jesus is the Savior of children. And so we see overall that Jesus is Savior of men, women, and children. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth here that we're going to see. So let's pray, and then we're going to read our passage of Scripture together. Father God, we do come before you humbly, Lord, and just acknowledging we don't know all things that we are oftentimes needy people. Lord, I pray that we would come to the realization tonight that we are way more desperate and in need than we ever thought possible, and that you are the one who can meet our needs. Lord, I pray that we would come to you humbly at your feet, crying out to you, because you are Lord. And I pray that you would grant to us understanding, conviction, and encouragement as we see your power displayed through your word tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, but he put them out all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Don't you just love the last part of that passage, right? You have this dead girl. Here's a, these people just witnessed a resurrection, uh, and, uh, which is a very supernatural event, right? Uh, and Jesus gives some very common sense instructions after this very supernatural event. Give the girl something to eat. You didn't just witness a ghost come out of her. This is not an apparition. This is a real physical resurrection from death to life. And she's hungry because she's been sick for a long time. Maybe she hadn't been able to eat anything. And he's like, give her something to eat. She needs food. If I was going to have to entitle this message, I would entitle it falling down before him and being made well. Because we see those two phrases in this story repeatedly, right? And, and so I think for us to get a better understanding of, of what's happening, we need to have a little brief, just a brief recap of what we've seen so far. You remember that on, on the, the left side of the Sea of Galilee, or the West Coast, Jesus was there teaching about the seed falling down on the ground, the soil representing the human heart, right, for men, women, and children. And then after teaching there in his boat pulpit, he takes the boat pulpit across the sea, and he calms the storm and speaks to the wind and the waves and tell them, tells them to hush, right, which would have been pretty terrifying if you're a disciple and they were freaked out. And they were full of fear and trembling in the boat. They get to the East Coast. And as we saw last week with Spencer's beautiful depiction and sounds of pigs and the demon running towards Jesus, Jesus casts out the demons from this man, sets him free from the darkness within. And everybody asks him to leave. So he gets back in the boat, heads back over to the other side of the sea, right? And you would have to imagine I don't know how many hours this was, right? But the disciples didn't live a boring three years with Jesus. We don't even know all that he did. And then what we're reading about, this is just like boom, 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 boom. Like, it's just crazy. Their heads are probably spinning. Like, they, they are witnessing all of these things happen over and over again. And Jesus teaching and explaining things in between. And it's just, it's mind-boggling what they've witnessed, and to think about what's happening. And here we see them witness two crazy things, like a story and then a story packed inside of a story, right? Pastor Kent Hughes said this about the contrast between the woman and Jairus' daughter. He said, here we see two desperate presentations of society, one rich, the other poor, 
One accepted, the other outcast. One familial, the other alone. Both beyond natural help. For 12 years, the girl and the woman had led such different lives, but now adversity had bound their souls unaware together, and they were both to be recipients of God's life-giving power. It's pretty crazy to think about the contrast, right? You have this guy, Jairus, this religious uh, ruler in the synagogue who sees Jesus and comes up to him, which is pretty shocking in and of itself, that he would go up to Jesus because they, you know, the religious leaders, they really didn't like Jesus. He was still in their thunder. And, uh, and, they, and they actually were conspiring to kill him. And so here you have one in verse 22 doing something shocking. Not only does he go up to Jesus, not only does he speak to Jesus, but it says that he falls on his face. He, he gets on his knees at Jesus' feet. I mean, nothing could be more humbling, right, than to fall on your knees and get on your face before someone else. And he's desperate. We know he's desperate, right? We know that this is a different type of falling on your feet because the demon-possessed man came to Jesus and fell on his, on a, on, at, at Jesus' feet as well. But that wasn't like voluntarily. He wasn't like humbly doing that. We know that, that Jairus is humbly desperately in faith coming to Jesus because he has something that he needs. He's desperate. He's a father of a sick child. He's begging. He's pleading. Right? And, and I don't know if you can think of back, if you're a parent, whenever your kids are sick, right, you get, you get you, and you realize you can't help that much, you get pretty desperate. I remember back in December of 2020, uh, 2017, um, Allie called me and, uh, and, and she called me because she had taken Case, who had been sick for a little while, to the urgent care in town, and he was two years old at the time. And the reason she called was because when they got there, you know, they were checking his vitals, um, and the PA wh- whispered in the nurse's ear, whenever you hear whispering, it's usually not a good thing in the doctor's office, and she said, call the ambulance. And so they took Case from the urgent care to Brenner's Children's Hospital in an ambulance, and um, Allie was with him, but the reason they had to rush him to the hospital was because his oxygen was dangerously low. And they knew if we didn't get him there, we, we can't provide the care that he needs. If we don't get him there, then this is, this is a bad situation. He ended up having pneumonia, so he was in the hospital for a few days. And they said, they told Allie, if you didn't go to the urgent care, he would have died. That's how, that's how serious it was. And you want to talk about feeling helpless as a father, right? Like, like there, and seeing your pitiful two-year-old little boy, like, in Brenner's Children's Hospital, hooked up with tubes. And here's a picture of Case with a little oxygen mask, right, hooked up with tubes, like, in the hospital bed. It's like, this will rip your heart out. You know, and I've been in ministry long enough to, to be around enough sick kids to know that most loving parents will do just about anything and go anywhere that they can to get the help they need for their suffering child, right? But this ruler, Jairus, right? There's nothing that human beings can do anymore to help. No one else can help him or his family but Jesus, because surely, being a ruler of the synagogue, he had resources, right? He had connections. He knew people. Uh, the best medical care possible. Yet, his little girl is at death's door. Jairus believes enough to ask 
Jesus to come to his house and lay hands on him. He believes, he has enough faith to think, if Jesus, if you just touch her, she'll be made well. I, I've, I've heard enough. I might, maybe he even saw enough. Maybe he was there when the, when the guy got lowered down through the roof. And, and he saw, maybe he, he was there when, when Jesus extended the guy's hand that was withered up. Maybe he's, he's seen enough, he's heard enough. He had enough faith. And what's amazing is that Jesus was willing. Jesus was willing to go with him. And so as they're on their way to Jairus' house, they're interrupted, they're stopped by this woman who is suffering. And and it's interesting that she is even in the crowd. It says that she's been suffering for years and that she's exhausted all of her resources. She's gone to every doctor. She spent all of her money. And not only is she not better, it says that she's worse. I'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands if you ever feel like you've suffered under the doctor's hand before, but sometimes you feel like, Man, the doctor didn't help at all. I just got worse, right? She heard that Jesus was nearby. She heard Jesus was nearby, so she desperately seeks him out. I wonder how many people have heard reports about Jesus and ignored them. You know anybody like that? How many people have heard that Jesus is near and not believed that he could do anything to help them? This woman believes that no one else could help her but Jesus. So she desperately reaches out through the crowd to touch his coattails. If you've ever seen tassels on a pillow, right? That's essentially what is on the end of Jesus's like coat as a rabbi, as a teacher. He would have had some tassels on his, his coattail. She reaches out and if I could just touch just a little bit of that, I believe I'll be healed. Look at verse 28. Her faith was for health, not for the healer. She didn't love Jesus. She just knew she needed something Jesus had, something that Jesus could do for her. Her faith was small. It possibly could have been selfish faith, but that's not the point. The object of her faith is what the point is. She believed that she didn't even need to touch him just his clothes, and she'd be made well. And this is the second time that we see that phrase, made well, which is super important. And that phrase in the Greek is sozo. I think I pronounced that correctly, sozo. It means to save or safe and sound, to rescue from danger, to save someone who's suffering from perishing. Sozo, that word is used in Matthew 121, when the angel announces to Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save, or sozo, his people from their sins. Matthew 8, 25, when the disciples thought that they were going to die in the storm, they went and woke Jesus up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. Sozo us. In Matthew fourteen thirty, when Peter stepped out of the boat to meet the Lord Jesus walking on the water, but takes his eyes off of Jesus, it says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Sozo. No one could save like Jesus. No one could save this woman from suffering but Jesus, and so so she reaches out. What happens? Verse 29. Mark uses his favorite word. Immediately. She was healed. Immediately. 
The word healed is different from sozo. Healed means that she was cured. She was made whole. And Jesus knew immediately that something had happened. He knew power had gone out from him. Jesus felt the faith of this woman. And he asked, who touched me? I'm sure the disciples probably thought, dude, that's a silly question. Do you see all the people? We're being jostled around. Everybody's touching everybody, right? Why would you ask who, is, who touched you? Because Jesus knew that there was a difference between the touch of faith and just being jostled around. And Jesus doesn't, I believe, ask the question who touched me because he doesn't know. I think, I think he knew. It's like God saying in Genesis 3, where are you? Hey, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was, right? Of course he knew. He's giving an opportunity for the person to come forth. Unlike Adam, the woman who was healed immediately doesn't hide, but she comes forward in fear and trembling because she not only had witnessed the power of Jesus, but benefited greatly from it. And what does she do? Look at verse 33. She fell down before him at his feet. This is the second time we see that phrase, which is super important. And there's a few other passages in the Gospels that use the same phrase. In Matthew 2, 11, when the wise men visited Jesus, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Same phrase. In Matthew 17, 6, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John saw the unveiled glory of Jesus and heard the Father speak from heaven, listen to my son. This is what it says in Matthew 17, 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell down on their faces and were terrified. Same phrase. Because in the presence of great power, authority, and glory, there should be worship and fear and trembling. So a few questions personally. When was the last time that you fell down on the ground in desperation before the Lord? Like, seriously, think about this. Just be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand or anything. But when's the last time you got on your knees in prayer? When's the last time that you prostrated yourself before the Lord in desperation? When's the last time you fell down on your knees and said, I am in great need. I'm desperate. This is urgent. I need you. Maybe you've never done that before. Right? I think it would be pretty easy to ignore the reports that you're hearing tonight about Jesus, about his power, about how he's worthy to be worshiped. I think we would be amiss if we didn't take away a little bit that this should be, at minimum, for followers of Jesus, a daily habit of falling down on our faces before him because he is Lord in desperation. Because even as followers of Jesus, we're still desperate. We still need him. We, we need to abide in him every single day we need to realize that we can't do it without him. We can't lead without him. As we were just singing a song about being faithful and following, I can't be faithful apart from him. I need him to lead me. I think maybe we should probably take a note out of this woman who's healed 
from an incurable disease who falls down on her face. And what does she do? She tells him the truth, the whole truth. Right? But before Jesus, holiness, before him, our unholiness is exposed. Before Jesus' power, our weakness is evident. Before Jesus' supply, our lack is glaring. We need to fall down before him in worship. She tells the whole truth. And she tells it out loud as she's on her knees speaking the truth. She tells it out loud enough to hear. Everybody standing around them could hear, right? And the only reason that we know this is because we're reading this text tonight. That's the only reason we know her story. Because Jesus stopped to say, who touched me? Could he have let her get away and be healed? Absolutely. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he wanted us to know this. He wants us to see this. He wants to have a personal encounter and interaction with this woman. She was saved from her suffering. And she had a personal, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball moment with her Savior. What do you think this did for Jairus' faith? Like, he might have come to Jesus at first with, like, maybe some weak faith. But what do you think happened after he saw this, after he heard this? Right? Do you think his, his stock in Jesus went up? He's like, oh, well, we're in good hands. We're good, bro. We got this. He's got it. He's coming to my house right now. He just healed this lady. Maybe if you fall down at Jesus' feet, you might hear, Words like in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Like that verse right there is just incredibly good news. That's beautiful gospel news. What a savior, what a healer. This woman got way more than physical healing. She didn't just get cured of disease. She got a personal moment with her creator who called her daughter. Like a term that implies relationship. This is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus uses this language with a woman. Faith in Jesus leads to salvation, peace, being safe, and sound, he makes all things new. She didn't, she didn't go away just healed. She went away with tranquility of soul, whole, secure in salvation by grace through faith. Her hope was to stop the suffering that she'd experienced for 12 years, and Jesus went well beyond the temporary reprieve of removing her disease. Why? Because the king is on the scene, and the king is bringing the kingdom of God to reverse the curse. Demons have to flee. Disease has to be get out of here, and we're about to see the most important, right? But this is Jesus, the king, who's on the scene to cure disease, to prescribe peace. That was the prescription he gave her as she walked away healed because he's the great physician, to prescribe peace to chaos and suffering, to save the suffering, to bring wholeness to the disjointed, to 
restore what's breaking down, to bring safety and security to the vulnerable and scared, to set the captives free, to call children to himself. What we see in this picture is Jesus forming his church. Not bricks and buildings, but men, women, and children. No one had ever seen or heard anything like this before. Verse 35 tells us that while Jesus was still speaking this incredible good news to this lady, some horrible news comes from Jairus' house. News that no parent ever wants to hear. Your daughter is dead. Verse 34 One daughter's healed. Verse 35, one daughter's dead. This is a father's worst nightmare. Here here we see the restoration of one daughter and the death of another, which is a reminder that the horrible reality of life on this earth. If you ever think that the Bible is not relevant for today, think about this. It's painting a picture of this. This is happening all over the world. Your best day is somebody else's worst day. Where you might get the best news you've ever heard, somebody else is having the worst day and getting the worst news they've ever heard. I remember talking with a few fathers of the kids. They had kids who had terminal illnesses in the hospital. As dads, we love to provide for our kids. We love that our kids feel like We can do anything. We can help in any situation. We can fix anything, right? But to feel absolutely helpless is miserable. To know you can't do anything to fix the situation. Knowing you can't stop the inevitable, where do you turn? And here, if there is ever a moment for Jairus to doubt, it's right here. It would have been really easy for this father to lose hope. I'm pretty sure that the messengers didn't help at all either, right? What do, what do they say? Not only is your daughter, don't, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. Why, why bother him any further? Listen, listen to this, Red Oak. You are never a bother to Jesus. You're never a bother to Jesus. Maybe you've tried to like go and ask your dad and mom something or maybe your boss and they were busy or they were irritated or they were annoyed or they didn't have time for you. Jesus is 100% available always. He's never annoyed. He's never bothered. He's never troubled. He always wants you to come to present your requests before him. You're not agitating him. He doesn't get agitated. He doesn't get annoyed. He's never in a hurry. He never has to be somewhere else. He wants you to come. Basically, these messengers are saying, death is the end. There's no coming back from that. Why bother him? Right, because during sickness, there's some seemingly even small bit of hope that maybe they'll get better or maybe Jesus can help because they're sick but now death is here is there anything that the teacher can do death has come Jesus looks at Jairus he doesn't even bother with the messengers 
He looks at Jairus in verse 36, and what does he say? Do not fear, only believe. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Jesus is calling this dad to trust in him. Jesus goes from a, a, a face-to-face interaction with this woman to a face-to-face interaction with this father. It says, hey, don't listen to them. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. Keep believing. Keep looking at me. Hey, I know you had faith at first. I know you just received some horrible news. News that would threaten to tackle your faith. But don't be afraid. Trust me. Because Jesus knows what's in man. He knows that his greatest fear is death. And surely, Jairus, being a ruler of the synagogue, was familiar with Psalm 23. And Jesus is just reminding him of God's word, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. A living example of this verse, Jesus gets to exercise and tell and illustrate this for Jairus. And Jairus gets to put his faith in God. Jesus is with me. In the face of death, Jesus calls for faith. Only faith, simple trust, God is with me. So Jesus Jesus counters the question, why trouble the teacher, with don't be afraid. Trust me. Jesus wants us to come to him in humble prayer and confident trust. He still wants us to ask, keep believing, keep trusting. So they get to the house, and the scene is one of chaotic wailing. The funeral, if you will, has already started, and it's a pretty chaotic scene, right? Death makes people lose their minds. This this is a full-blown, fresh grief. They're in the midst of mourning. And Jesus makes a very interesting statement in verse 39. The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, this is the same word used by Mark when Jesus was asleep in the boat. So to Jesus, death is a nap. Let that sink in. To Jesus... Death is just like a nap. I want you to imagine, maybe some of you don't have to imagine too hard, imagine being with close friends or family and and going to a a hospital room where someone just passed away. Or imagine being a hospice that's just been called in into a house and, and, and a family member has just passed away. And in walks this guy who seemingly says very insensitively, Oh, he's not dead. They're not dead. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. Right? Would that come across pretty insensitive? Probably. Right? And from my experience in ministry, whenever there's a, a child that dies, the funeral is way larger than if it's an old person. Why? It's interesting. We feel like as human beings that when a child dies, their, their life was cut short. Like, we, we, we kind of feel the sting of death a little bit more than if an old person passes away. We're like, oh, they, they lived a long, good life. But if it's a child, there's way more people there. Right? And, and we feel like death is a little more dark when it's a child. We, we kind of think about death a little more. We see and feel the curse a little bit more. This is 
terrible. Living in a fallen world, living in a world where death is a reality because death was never supposed to be a part of our life. But our sin brought death. The consequence of sin is death and suffering, loss and heartache. And that's why people are weeping. And that's why people laugh at Jesus. So it would have been insensitive of Jesus to say what he said unless he could do something about it. What could the teacher do in the face of death? Jesus takes only his inner circle, the guys who he's closest with, Peter, James, and John, along with the mother and father into the room where death is laying. And what does Jesus do? Does he touch? Does he speak? What does he do? He lays his hand on her hand. He touches her hand. So before, you have this woman who comes through the crowd where all the jostling people are, and she was unclean because she had been bleeding for 12 years, right? And she touches Jesus and is immediately healed. Her uncleanness didn't transfer to Jesus. His cleanness and purity transferred to her. Right? And here, Jesus isn't infected. He's not, he's not infected by death. He's not infected by disease. Right? His holiness eradicates all of those things. Any Jew would have known. You don't touch a dead body. But Jesus walks into the room where death is, and he lays his hand on the little girl. And he speaks these words. I find this interesting This is the same thing he does with Peter's mother-in-law in in Mark 1. You remember when she was sick with a fever? He walks into the house, he lays his hand on her, and the fever lifts. She's healed. Jesus walks in to the dead little girl and says in a gentle, fatherly tone, look at verse 41, little girl, get up. Or it could be translated, little lamb, Arise. Scholars said that Talitha Kumi could, would have been similar to a loving father going in and getting his little daughter up before school one day. That's the, the, the gentle way that Jesus does this. He says, hey, sweetie, it's time to get up. Hey, hey, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. That's what Jesus is doing right here. It's not a show. There's not trumpets. He, he doesn't draw a crowd and, 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 and drum up this big, like, dramatic scene and say, everybody watch what I'm about to do. Look at me. Look at my power. Look what I can do. He just does it very gently. Jesus would have looked like a lunatic talking to the wind and waves if they didn't respond. He would have looked like a lunatic talking to a dead little girl unless verse 42 happened immediately. This is not, let's wait and see what happens after he ends his sentence. This is immediately, immediately, immediately. It says, not only does she get up, but she starts walking around the room. I don't know about you, if I was James, Peter, John, I'd probably be freaking out. I'd probably be at the fear and trembling moment, right? Dead girl walking around the room, right? She wasn't struggling. 
It wasn't, it doesn't say she like, like labored breathing, laying in the, in the bed. No, she gets up out of the bed and she's walking around. This is an absolutely unforgettable moment, right? They, they didn't have to call in the, the physical therapists. Hey, um, can you guys, can, can you bring in the PTs? She's, uh, she's just, um, what do you need help with? What was she struggling with? Death? Oh, we don't have anything for that. What's the PT after death? Do you have any physical therapy for that? No, we don't have any training for that. The king of life speaks and death has to leave. This is the work of the one and only most high God. And this is foreshadowing of what Jesus would do later. This is his own foreshadowing of his own get up moment that he would have later when the resurrection happens. In Matthew 28, 5 through 6, it says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. He got up. And he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Jesus not only had the power to cause this little girl to get up, arise, but he himself arose from the dead. Now, I would imagine, and the scriptures don't tell us this, so this is just my imagination, but I would imagine that this father and mother would never forget this moment, ever. For the rest of their life, they would never forget it. Can you imagine the conversations at the dinner table later, looking at their daughter? They'd say, hey, you remember when you died? That was crazy. And then Jesus of Nazareth, that guy came in and just like took you by the hand and said, little girl, get up. And you got up? Like Jesus brought you back to life? You were dead. I saw you dead. And now you're alive. You know, it's fascinating that Jesus only brought Peter, James, and John. But I think he did it for a reason. Peter would later write, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And James, a skeptic his whole life, didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God until after the resurrection. And he went from skeptic to a believer and a leader in the early church and he died for his faith in this same Jesus. And John later would rec record the scene of doubting Thomas. And this is what he said. This is post-resurrection Jesus talking, okay? Put your fingers here, Thomas. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So how in the world do we respond to all of this? I want us to close with a few application points. Two questions. One, what does God want us to know 
because we have explored this text. What does he want us to know? Number one, Jesus has absolute authority over nature, demons, disease, and even death. Y'all, I don't know if you caught it in the passage, but Jesus didn't say a word to the social outcast woman when she was healed. He didn't even see her, didn't say a word, didn't touch her. And he, then he gives life to a dead little girl. I think we should stand in awe and amazement. We should be like the people in the room when it says they were immediately overcome with amazement. We should know that God fills imperfect, weak faith from a desperate heart when the object of that faith is Jesus. We, he also wants us to know that men, women, and children have needs that only Jesus can meet. I hope it wasn't lost on you that no matter the age, no matter the socioeconomic status, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're known, whether you're unknown, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a Jew, doesn't matter. Jesus shows no partiality. Jesus cares. He's not troubled by our requests. So what does God want us to do because of all of this? He wants us to approach him. Are you suffering? Approach him. Have faith. Trust in him. Humbly fall down at his feet. He wants us to be desperate. He wants us to come to him and depend upon him wholly, 100% dependence on him. So are you coming to him urgently? And Jesus wants us to come to him in prayer, humbly asking, confident trust. Ask for what only he can do and then trust him. Why should we trust him? Because he's a tender, loving, compassionate savior of men, women, and children. There's nobody like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word that meets us where we are. It meets us in our moments of desperation. We are needy people, Lord. There's so many things that we've seen in our lives. There's so many things we've done in our lives where we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. It seems like there's nobody else who can help. Forgive us for oftentimes turning to you as a last resort. Jesus, thank you so much for being patient with us. Thank you for your willingness. We see your willingness to come to someone's house who has come humbly before you and asked. And we see how personal you are when you stop and you take the time to speak and have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with a woman who no one knew had been suffering for so long. And see you do what only you can do. God, I pray that we would walk away from this place tonight, being more in awe of you, Jesus. Not only an amazing teacher, not only a wonderful counselor, but an almighty Lord of heaven and earth who destroys the power of demons, disease, and death. God, help us to be amazed at you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.